This is A Fresh Agenda. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity and generate your deepest work. Here is your host, Christina Mendonza. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being here. I'm Christina Mendonza. This is A Fresh Agenda, where we talk to innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. This podcast is about having some deeper, more positive conversations on topics of creativity and motivation to explore how people create or build businesses, how they've built their careers, how they innovate in their industries. Uh, This is episode number 88, and today I'm chatting with John Waters, the filmmaker actor, writer, artist, I would add raconteur, he tells a great story. His new book is called Mr. Know-It-All, and it's this really fun romp through all of the challenges he's gone through and making so many of the strange, campy, culty, edgy movies that he's made. So if you haven't heard the name, which I'm assuming you probably have, but if you haven't, he's the man responsible for Hairspray, which seems to get remade and redone like every 10 years or so. It's a great story. We're going to talk to him about that, how he feels about people doing new versions of his movies and where he sees the future of film going because he has some thoughts on that as well. First off, how is everyone doing? As I record this, we are having the most oppressive heat wave in recent memory in Northern California. Uh, We're going to have temperatures well into the 100s for the entire week, but it's cloudy and there was even some rain this morning. It's very odd. It's a strange time within a strange time. The pandemic is now entering month six, and I'll admit, Um, I've had a hard time focusing sometimes. I've been trying to read more for pleasure instead of work because it kind of sits down and and makes me focus instead of skimming through websites for headlines. Um, Usually I have an audio book and a hard copy book going at once. One, I try to make nonfiction, like a professional development book. And uh, the other, I try to make usually a mystery or historical fiction or a thriller that kind of helps me with uh, some escapism. Now, one of the books I'm reading right now uh, sparked an idea for another podcast. So this week, later this week, I'll be recording with Ada Calhoun. She's written several books, but her latest is called Why We Can't Sleep. And I immediately picked it up because not only do I relate to that title, I resemble it, and I'm sure many of you do as well. It's amazing how much sleep we are not getting as Americans. I'm always waking up like several hours before I have to get up, and then the mind races, and I check my phone, and I wonder how my daughter in Australia is doing, or if my other daughter made it back to her apartment okay in Oregon. Uh, Does my mom need help with something? Um... (laughs) Did I pay that bill that I was going to pay? Um, Do I just sell the house and move to Portugal? Or do I expand my business here? What are home prices like in other states? Why are so many people moving out? Oh, I know why they're moving out. What about tax rates? Um, Did I remember all my friends' birthdays? You know the drill. Because I know a lot of you do that too. You wake up in the middle of the night and your mind just races. Well, apparently this is... Uh, happening to all of us, of course, because of the pandemic. But for one generation in particular, it's happening more. And that is Generation X, uh, the generation that is now in or entering mid-age. So I'm going to talk to Ada about her book because that's what her book focuses on. She writes about Generation X women. And I loved the book. It felt like a visit with a friend who just gets it. So I'm really looking forward to talking to her this week. 
Now, one thing many people don't look forward to is that email from HR that says you have online training to complete. You put it off until you get another prompt to get it done, and then you sit there glazing over as a steady stream of PowerPoint slides and bad voiceover drones on about you know, sexual harassment policies or whatever you need to be trained on. That's why you need to tell your HR director about mycecourse.com. It's a multimedia education option for state compliance, professional growth and engagement, the courses dive deep into specialized subjects while meeting all curriculum and legal requirements. Best of all, we work with a team of attorneys, insurance professionals, and award-winning broadcast personalities and filmmakers. That's the key because together we produce education that is both informative and interesting. So it's relatable, reliable, and targeted storytelling. Why should it be boring? It doesn't have to be. It's education that you need, tell your HR director about mycecourse.com. One other interesting thing I'll just happen that I'll mention quickly that's happening is I've been working on a project for a large production house. Uh, They're developing a national true crime program. So I'm involved in the one focused on Colleen Stan. She was kidnapped in the late 70s, kept in a box under her captor's bed for years. Uh, She endured eight years of captivity and torture before she finally escaped. I've known Colleen now for many years. Um, I've interviewed her several times. She is an amazing woman, and I was glad to help in the production of that upcoming show. So I'll have much more on that as it gets closer to release, which will be toward the end of the year. All right. Now, we're going to dive into a very interesting man, but I will say this. The interview is probably not for the kids. John Waters is the eccentric director of camp cult classics like Hairspray, Crybaby, and Polyester. He is a force of oddity, hustle, adaptability in an industry that has evolved to exclude so many independent filmmakers. Mr. Know-It-All is his new book. He describes how to fail up in Hollywood, as he says, and offers great insight into how the business has changed from the disappearance of a lot of independent movie companies to the new forces shaping what does and doesn't get produced. He talks about uh, favorite stars he's worked with, like Kathleen Turner and Johnny Depp and Tracy Ullman, and the stars that he made even brighter with his films, like Divine and Mink Stole. So I got his book in the mail. I took it to a place in my backyard, that since the pandemic I refer to as the Orange Umbrella Bar. It's a table. Yes, there is an orange umbrella, a view of the sunset. It's a place to uh, drink wine and occasionally look up and see a hummingbird on one of the feeders. It's not fancy, but it's my spot to read in the evening. So I'm sitting there with a glass of Savvy Bee, and within the first paragraph of this book, I did a spit take, spraying wine all over the pavement. My husband looked at me like I was insane. I laughed for a good five minutes. He was explaining a piece of art that he had created, a piece that was actually sold and is probably hanging in someone's house right now, sparking some interesting conversations, I bet, with the guests. So we started our conversation talking about that piece. Love the book. You had me at 12 assholes and a dirty foot. (laughs) <laughs> well, that was a piece, and actually, uh, we sold it, too. But it was amazing to see people's expressions as they walked past it. <laughs> and I think I tell that story about this one couple you could tell was on their first date, and he said, you know, I've never seen my own asshole. And she looked at him with such horror that I knew this date was not going to end well. <laughs> How are you getting along during this pandemic? What do you miss the most? 
Life. I met, well, first of all, employment. I lost 32 speaking engagements. Um, secondly, the freedom. You know, I, I traveled the world constantly. I was on an airplane twice a week. Um, but yet, uh, there's been certain good things about it. I maybe don't ever have to do selfies again. Um, uh, but it, I'm living it like everybody else, bored, silly, and scared. Yeah. All right. Uh, you know, again, I just um, I love the way you took us through your life in the book. Uh, when did you see kind of the full bloom of your unique sense of humor? When did that become apparent to you that, OK, I see the world differently? Well, very early, very early, even in grade school, I knew that I was not interested in what other people were interested in, the other kids. But that didn't bother me, really, because I, as long as I had books and magazines, I could I could find the world that I wanted to go to, which was Bohemia. And my parents didn't know. I didn't know what a beatnik was. I didn't know anything. But Life magazine corrupted me because we got it every week, and I would read about beatniks and then abstract expressionists and then pop art. So, so uh, I, I always was looking for another world, and I knew it was out there, and, um, and I was lucky because I knew what I wanted to be right from the beginning. I wanted to be in, in entertainment. I was on the Howdy Doody show. My parents took me to New York, and I was on that. And the very first time I saw it's all a lie. There's five Howdy Doody puppets. It's fake. I knew that that was the world I wanted to be in. It was not disillusionment. It was a great, great vocation. Let's say. Yeah. You could have gone so many different directions with your art. What attracted you to film? How is that going to be the the, the mode in which you expressed yourself? Well, film at the time was causing a lot of trouble. Certainly, I watched underground movies that you could get arrested for watching Flaming Creatures. They came and took the whole audience away. Talk about an edgy <laughs> night at the movies. Uh, foreign films I loved because they showed nudity and, and, and exploitation movies that I would go as a teenager and see at the drive-in. So I was looking at all the forbidden movies that they told us we'd go to hell to see in the Catholic Church. And then I parodied that and started making movies for art theaters that were exploitation films. You know, the way you did it and the way it seems to be done today seems so different. We have YouTube, we have Vimeo. Do you think those that that's a healthy thing for people to have access to that kind of filmmaking early or do you think it just I guess it sets us up for a fire hose. Who has become who from YouTube and all that, who has caused a sensation in the film world? What happens when you're on that, you get hired by an advertising agency. You get adver- you get hired in the commercial world, which is great. I think that's a good thing. But I don't know a film that has caused a sensation on either of those places yet. And I could be wrong, but... I don't know of one offhand. Still, you have to go, well, after this pandemic, who knows, because show business is over as we know it. Mm-hmm. So how are you going today? I'm so glad I'm old. I'd be so mad if I was young, <laughs> like in the book, and finally got these crazy movies through the system in Hollywood and got a green light, and then this stopped it. Oh, God, I'd be crazy. But the good thing is, the kids today, they're demonstrating it's working better. Everything they're demonstrating, this new wave in the last year has has really worked 
effect. I mean, they see it get results, and that's because they're relentless. They do it every day. So I, I always said that. Why aren't people out there marching every day with what's going on? And now they are, and I, I applaud that. Well, relentless is the word that comes to mind when uh, you explain kind of your path through Hollywood. During those years when the critics weren't favoring you, when you felt screwed over by the ratings panel, your movies weren't making maybe the money you had hoped that they would make, what kept you hustling? What inspired you to try again? Well, I wanted to keep going. And, you know, I don't, I'm not bitter about it. Hollywood treated me well. Their job, the people that greenlight your movies, is to make money. They're not a grant organization from the arts. Their job is to make money. They get to greenlight three movies a year. If they lose money, they're fired. So I get it. I wanted my movies to make money, too. I, I went with them in the very beginning with an ad campaign. You know, I, I always thought my movies would be commercially successful. And the weird thing was, in the long, 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 long run they were because they never go away they keep getting coming out in new versions or oddly enough get shown on television who would have ever imagined some of those movies would be on television i know you brought that up with i'm sorry you brought that up with hairspray you said it, it was made over and over again and a lot of directors or writers would be horrified by that and you loved every iteration well, no, I think, I uh, yes, to keep doing it over and over, as long as they change it. Each time they have to change it. When it doesn't work, it's kind of with rent or, or the producers. When they did it over and over, they did it the same. And you have to change it for it to work again. You have to reinvent it each time. And and it could go, you know, when the Hollywood version of Hairspray was the opposite of mine. It cost a fortune. It had all movie stars. It was a Hollywood big-budget musical. But it worked because it was a different thing than my original movie that wasn't a musical my original movie was a dance movie when you talk about the new influences on film uh, you talked about the suits of the studios that used to try to kind of control a lot of the aspects are the new influences things like um, ai research and data or perhaps what the chinese audience is looking for in film what do you see well, the, unfortunately, the the special effects are what audiences. I'm amazed. Young people don't want to go to a restored Art Deco art theater. They want to go to the mall and stadium seating, which I never understand unless Ben Hur is playing or something. Would you come in a chariot? I don't get it. <laughs> but you know what? That means I'm old. So I'm a I'm a realist. The movie business is when it comes back. I love the idea of pop up drive-ins that are happening now, even illegal ones where they set up in parking lots and show weird movies and collect the money and run. I really love that. That's so Cecil B. DeMinute. I, I hope the, the drive-in makes this huge comeback. That's going to be the one great thing that happens from this epidemic. Yeah, I was just hearing this morning, Walmart is actually going to do big drive-ins in their parking lots. In all- yeah, good for them. The problem is, what will they show, though? But but still, I, I don't care what they show. I, I'm for that. And, you know, Walmart, I, I, it's so weird to me. They sold a lot of copies of my book. You know, they pushed it, which is always amazing to me, because I've only been in a Walmart once. Not because I'm a snob, or maybe I am, but I was hitchhiking across the... I like little stores, like big stores. I walked in, and I thought, oh, my God, this is so huge. I don't know how to buy anything. Nobody works here. But, but I experienced it, at least. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm amazed always that they carry my product in there. I mean, even when I when Pink Flamingos finally came out for the 25th anniversary on DVD, I was in L.A., and they had it in supermarkets at the checkout counter in West Hollywood, of course. But still, I was amazed that it had crossed over that far.
All right. At the risk of becoming a journalist, much like all the journalists you're talking to today, who was your favorite muse? Was it Divine? Was it someone else? Was it a combination? My muse, I wrote a whole book called Role Models, which was basically all the people that gave me the courage to try to be what I wanted. It was Tennessee Williams. It was Little Richard. It was Johnny Mathis. It was all people that took chances and uh, and were original in some way. So um, I, I think Warhol, of course, who I wrote a big chapter in my new book about, is sticking up for him. Why are they making him the villain now in movies or in mm-hmm. these memoirs? Are you kidding? If he, he did everything before anybody. And 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 other people are now trying to reveal embarrassing moments about him or say they thought up the ideas. Without Andy, nobody would have heard any of them. Was there anything ever that was too edgy that you wouldn't do in a film? Sure. I mean, I wouldn't have... You know, I wouldn't do Holocaust jokes. I'm not Jewish. If you're Jewish, you can. Um, I think it always helps that you make fun of yourself first, and then you can make fun of others. But I make fun of things I love, so I think the tone has remained why people will still come aboard with me. Right, right. You you talk about uh, falling up in Hollywood and becoming respectable. Respectable. I love that first chapter of your book. You've made lots of movies. You've had so much success. Uh, is it uncomfortable, or why is it at least awkward feeling to be celebrated so much? Well, it's it's a great feeling. I mean, you know, I. I but it ceases to astound me. I mean, I was the Nike spokesman this year. That I never caught a ball in my life. I wish my dad was alive. He would have been more shocked at that than anything. <laughs> and I, I got the Writers Guild uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. I'm the face of Eve Saint in the new campaign in the fall. How could that possibly happen? You know. <laughs> so it just proves for everybody that. Anything can happen. You just have to keep going and believe in yourself. And look, I had a lot of failures. A lot of the movies didn't make money. Cry Baby on Broadway was a bomb. I had bad reviews. I built a career on bad reviews. But you work with what you got, and you keep going. And the first thing you always got to remember is somebody beside who you're sleeping with and your mother has to think it's good. You need a third person. I love the end of the book when you say that your past is meaningless now, that you're content, that you feel love, you feel protected, you feel satisfied. So few people can say that no matter their station, their accomplishments, or their bank account. What is leading to that sense of serenity? Are you kidding? That is that is the whole thing to work for. Basically, your whole life is that you feel safe, and uh, but no one's safe from death. And even in this book, I talk about how to beat death, or I'm going to claw my way up out of the earth and the resurrection. The only thing I believe in in the Catholic Church that we're all going to come back. But what are you going to wear? I don't want to be nude forever. You know, I try to be practical. I I ask this of all of my guests. Um, How do you decompress or replenish your own creative energy? What's your hobby? What's your meditation, your exercise? What do you do? A hobby? I have no such thing as a hobby. Hobbies are for amateurs. I have careers. Um, I, you know, I, I have different compartments that I put ideas in. I have I don't have any hobbies. I don't um to me that means you're a dabbler and I I try to never be a dabbler. Hmm. Uh, if you could not have made film, what is the medium you would choose to express yourself? I would have been a criminal defense lawyer for the capital cases and win them life in prison instead of death. Wow, that's unexpected. 
spot. <laughs> I've stuck up for the most, you know, I think even, you know, Jesse Jackson once said, the damned, the despised, and the depraved, those are my people. <laughs> They're the ones somebody has to speak for them. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I so right. appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you so much, John Waters. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with John Waters. His book, Mr. Know-It-All, is out now, and it's an enjoyable read. Um, Very interesting on the history of film, um, his personal history, of course, and uh, he he name-drops a bunch of really um, interesting celebrities, and you'll hear more about his relationships there. What I like about the book is he's not mean to anyone. He's not, you know spilling tea, as they say, on anyone. Um, But he does give his impressions on who he really enjoyed working with and um, who, you know, he was, I don't know, maybe they just were offended by something he did or said or whatever, and he tries to explain himself there. But he is a a kind man, and and I appreciated that. So there you are, fresh and funny. I wish we could have dissected more with him, but when you're doing publicity for this kind of a book, you're doing rapid-fire discussions with people in different cities all day, so we didn't have a lot of time with him. It is interesting to hear his perspective on the film industry, though. And we did a story this past week on KFBK about the video game technology now being used to get productions back up and rolling. Studios now can send smaller crews on location. They can control camera angles remotely. They can build virtual sets and drop them in augmented reality style. And all of this has been accelerated by the pandemic. So it is fantastic tech. It gives people jobs. But... You know, as John Waters was alluding to, it's also a little bit sad when you consider someone like Waters, um, just the independent opportunities or the opportunities for independent filmmakers, they're just fewer and more far between. So it's sad to lose that part of the spectrum of creativity, uh, which we are losing to just a few genres that satisfy the box office, right? The the action, the special effects, the explosions. Uh, we still do need those people who have a different way of looking at the world, people who don't view things through the same lens. Well, don't miss my interview next week with Ada Calhoun, author of Why We Can't Sleep. It's all about Gen X women in midlife. And then I'll be back on KFBK on the morning news this week, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. till 9 a.m. And we now have 88 back episodes of A Fresh Agenda with really interesting people like celebrity chef Tyler Florence. There's one with Jay Leno. Uh, We have a bunch of other thought leaders, futurists, business icons from all different generations and all different industries. Reach out anytime on any of my platforms to me as well if you think there's someone that uh, you'd like to hear me interview. Um, And if you just found me, thank you very much. I appreciate you being here. Also, a big virtual hug to all of my constant listeners. I really appreciate you as well. This is A Fresh Agenda. I'm Christina Mendonca. Let's stay connected. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity. This is A Fresh Agenda. (laughs) 